Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just the other day, we were contacted by a friend um, who was really excited to watch a new movie um, DVD that uh, she'd been given by her sister. And um, it was titled Against the Tide. And it was a movie about Professor John Lennox and his passion for the evidence for God. Now, I uh, have his book, Against the Flow, which is um, a really good book. So Professor John Lennox, of course, is uh, a professor of mathematics um, and philosophy at uh, Oxford University. He's an emeritus professor there, uh, I think, and um, he's been there for some time. Uh, and he's um, you know, a very, very strong Christian. And um, as I said, I have his book, um, Against the Flow, um, in which he talks about how, you know, our society is uh, changing, becoming, you know, very secular. But it's a time for Christians to really point out that, you know, Christianity makes that makes so much sense. The Bible account of the history of the world makes so much sense. And he draws quite an analogy to um, the uh, the book of Daniel in the Bible, which is sort of roughly in the middle of the Bible there. Um, and Daniel, of course, was um, uh, the chief, became the chief advisor to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king who built the famous gardens of Babylon and essentially uh, built the Babylonian Empire up to its uh, peak. Um, and Daniel had been a, a captive, a young Jewish captive, who was uh, trained in the schools of learning by Nebuchadnezzar. But uh, Daniel kept to his principles, he kept to his vegetarian diet. Um, and showed uh, not only superior intellect, but his faith in God was rewarded in many supernatural events that are recorded there. And of course, what happens today is that so many people are sceptical of these you know, supernatural events um, having taken place, such as the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, which revealed the future of the world, essentially right up to the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus. And, um, and Nebuchadnezzar had had this dream, of course, and you can read about it in chapter 2 of uh, Daniel. And um, if anyone listening doesn't have a Bible, remember, you can just go on Google and Google the book of Daniel, chapter 2. The Bible will come up and you can read it there for yourself. And it's an amazing story about, um, or amazing account, really, of how King Nebuchadnezzar had uh, a dream, an amazing dream. He couldn't remember it, or at least said he couldn't remember it, but wanted to know the interpretation and asked his wise man uh, to interpret it for him. Um, and, of course, they couldn't, so he said, well, okay, well, if no one can, you... You know, you're wasting my time as supposed wise men and you'll be put to death. And Daniel, who was only a junior at the time, went and saw the king, asked to see the king and, and told him, you know, give me some time. I'll pray to my God and uh, who and uh, I will have the re- revelation of the dream. And Daniel did pray and God revealed in a dream to Daniel what the dream was and its meaning. And Daniel was able to go in and tell the king. And that that's pretty cool that um, 
that God revealed to Daniel what the dream was and also the interpretation. And it outlined the history ahead of, of the different kingdoms. And you can read about it there. If people, if anyone's listening, hasn't read the, the book of Daniel, it's uh, uh, it's certainly an amazing book. It's full of prophecies that have been fulfilled. We know it was written, you know, well before the the time of Christ. I mean, it was written during the um, reign of King Nebuchadnezzar by Daniel. But uh, you know, the skeptics have tried to say it was written later and all this sort of thing. But there, so many of the prophecies were fulfilled much later on. Um, anyway, so you know, Daniel predicted the time when Christ would come initially, the first time as well. Um, yeah, so an amazing, amazing book there. And so Professor John Lennox talks about that and how Daniel stood up in this really, you know, pagan, idolatrous society. And again, we, we have that today as we see the, the rise of um, atheism or atheistic, humanistic views in our schools, um, sort of a soft form of Marxism as uh, being taught. We see that... Um, the education system is attacking uh, the standards of God's kingdom in the area of uh, morality, sexuality, um, uh, you know, so, uh, creation, um, how we came to be here. And so I was really excited when this friend said, "Look, I've got this new, um, I've got this movie that's just uh, my sister bought from the uh, United States. As I understand, it's not released yet here in Australia." And, um, and it's called Against the Tide. And it's very interesting in that Lennox goes through a little bit about, you know, his history, uh, his upbringing and how, you know, his father challenged him to always consider um, the, um, you know, the opposing views to Christianity uh, because we need to have, you know, evidence base and strong arguments for Christianity because it, Christianity is a faith religion. We believe it, but we believe it on the basis of evidence. And this is where John Lennox is really brilliant in this area in that he's a, a mathematician, a brilliant mathematician, uh, extremely logical, and he's able to identify the illogical arguments that are put up against Christianity at some time. And, of course, he has debated a number of um, well-known atheists such as uh, Dr. Richard Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, um, Peter Atkins, who's a you know an atheist chemist at uh, Oxford University um, as well, and shown the the shortcomings in their in their arguments. And one and um, one of the important uh, arguments that he brings up is the overwhelming evidence that the universe had a beginning, and he brings this up again, you know, that the the whole atheist position, the whole secular position has to be that somehow the universe created itself, you know, and thoughts. But that doesn't really provide a, provide an answer because we don't observe that happening. We don't uh, observe new laws of physics forming. We don't observe new fundamental particles forming. We, you know... Um, and um, as you know, the brilliant physicist James Clerk Maxwell point out, how can you have the evolution of atoms uh, occurring? How how did they evolve? 
Um, and we don't really see evidence of this. We don't see evidence of if the universe did, you know, put itself together by, you know, some amazing fact. We don't see evidence of this. Now, of course, one of the ways that scientists try to get out of this is by the multiverse theory, the, the idea that there are an infinite, almost an infinite number of universes and uh, formed and we just happen to be in one that, you know, works well to support life. But, of course, there's no evidence of these other universes. And really, it's just fantasy. It, it's just, um, you know, thinking up something for which we can never prove, we can't identify, we can't see. Um, and so, in a way, it, it's worse than uh, believing in God because when you think about believing in God, there is the testimony for thousands of years uh, you know, right back to the time of Abraham and, and Moses and this sort of thing, of supernatural experiences, experiences with God, where God intervened with the laws of nature and demonstrated his presence and spoke to people. He spoke to Moses from the burning bush. He spoke to Abraham. Um, Abraham saw angels, and so many of the Bible writers saw angels. And we also have... Um, accounts of many Christians that have chosen to believe in this, in God, and have worked for him and have served him, and the experiences of answers to prayer themselves, and miraculous situations, miraculous healings. And these are, so many of these people are highly credible people, um, and people who, you know, change the course of history um, uh, down through time. And when I think about it, the civilizations based on Christianity have led to, you know, the highest standard of living, the, the most stable democratic governments, um, you know, peace and law and order. Uh, but this is gradually being eroded away. And we see this, you know, uh, even uh, as I was uh, talking to you know my youngest son just the other day he was saying that in just his lifetime and he's not even 40 years of age he's seen the change in culture and also from the the, the time back as he's heard from uh, stories talking about when you know my wife and I were first married and also when we grew up as children how um, you know Western civilization has changed, and particularly, for example, in Australia, in the culture which he's experienced, and how over this time there's been this huge decline in church attendance, this huge decline in in really trusting and believing in God, and and turning to secularism, and and particularly in our education system has encouraged that. You know, I've I've talked about it many times. Um, you know, or at different times sort of thing. You know, our young people are being taught the Big Bang Theory. There, there's no evidence for the Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory inf relies on inflation theory and inflation theory, you know, can't be falsified. It, it's impossible to, to test it. It can be used to prove anything. Um, so the Big Bang Theory really isn't even science and yet it's taught as science. Um, and yet, you know, the science proponents that are pushing for it keep pushing that it is, but the evidence isn't there. And these are the sorts of um, arguments that John Lennox is, is putting up that so many of the assertions 
and claims of atheism and secularism and humanism and this sort of thing are just wishful thinking. They're not, in many cases, they're not logical. They don't follow from the logical evidence that we see around us, the hard physical evidence that we see around us. And also they deny the the supernatural evidence for which there has so much been recorded down through history by credible witnesses, including the resurrection of Jesus himself. But also the Christian story of, of sin, of an antagonist Satan who wanted to change God's laws, um, the influence of, of Satan in so doing in creating evil, which is uh, the breaking of God's laws, which essentially summarised in the Ten Commandments uh, that are given there in Exodus chapter 20. And again, if anyone hasn't read those who are listening, again, just go on Google and Google the book of Exodus chapter 20 and you'll read the, the Ten Commandments there that were given by Moses to God. God actually wrote them miraculously himself on stone and, um, and gave them to uh, Moses and of course Jesus summed it up in two simple statements of the commandments. You know, uh, thou shalt love God, and thou shalt love thy neighbour. And really, um, you know, and that means to so shine kindness and care and respect. Um, and um, we can see that so those those two principles solve so many things. And I really, it really irks me that so many people, you know, are against Jesus or you mention the name of Jesus and they, they get upset about. But if you read the teachings of Jesus as recorded in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and um, in the Bible, and again, if people don't have a Bible, it's so easy now. You can just Google these books on the on the internet. They're free. You can read the passages. Um there are so many websites that uh, have them there in different translations, the New American Standard Version or the New King James Version or uh, different paraphrases. And we can see you know, what a beautiful person Jesus was and how consistent he was and what he taught um, and what he did you know, in terms of healing um, and, um, and, and so forth and bringing peace to people. Uh, restoring people's self-esteem and value, uh, but pointing out the hypocrisy of the so-called church at that time. And but getting back, I guess, to the to the science and um, um, Professor John Lennox, um, um, a film about Professor John Lennox. Um, I would certainly encourage people who can get hold of a copy. Um, or watch it on Netflix or whatever. Um, uh, yes, against the tide, uh, the story of John uh, Lennox's faith in in Christianity. Um, but also, if you Google it, you'll come up. There's a, a now program where uh, Cambridge um, uh, philosopher of science um, expert uh, Stephen Myers interviews John Lennox, and that's about a now program available again free on YouTube. Uh, to watch. There's powerful arguments. You can also watch the debates between, for example, um, uh, Professor Lennox and Richard Dawkins and see the, um, you know, the powerful evidence that Lennox is able to bring up and also his personal testimony. But um, 
Now, when we look at the science evidence, I was reading a very interesting article just recently by Oleski Popov. Now, many people wouldn't have heard of him, but he's a specialist in elementary particle physics who holds the position of senior scientist at the Institute for High Energy Physics in uh, Protovino in Russia. And um, he's... um, also worked at the Brookhaven National Laboratories and the Fermi National uh, Accelerator uh, Laboratory. Um, And he writes a very, very interesting paper on fine-tuning. It's entitled Fine-Tuning of the Universe, and it's essentially the first chapter in this book, Design and Catastrophe, 51 Scientists Explore Evidence in Nature, that's uh, published by Andrews University Press. So as I said, I've been taking quite a few articles from this design and catastrophe, um, 51 Science to Explore Evidence in Nature. And so he's got the first chapter, Fine-Tuning of the Universe, and it's interesting. He says, you know, when we look up at the starry sky in a cloudless night, and remember John Lennox's argument, and again against Dawkins and all these sort of things, is that when you look at the evidence, there's so much Look at at the universe. There's so much evidence for design, and that it was made for a purpose. And uh, Oleski Popov, uh, Doctor Oleski Popov, says essentially the same thing. You know, he says we admire the beauty of the picture that opens before our eyes, the countless stars and galaxies capture our imagination. But what caused all this to exist? Is it natural that our universe contains such complex and beautiful structures? It's interesting that the structure of the universe is regulated by natural laws. And so a second question can be raised. Why do these laws act in such a way that all of these complex structures can exist? And that's an important question, you see, because not only can you have laws, but you've got to have laws that actually work constructively together. And this is a... This is another thing. We've, we've often talked about in evolution theory, you know, irreducible complexity. But the same thing applies with regard to the laws of physics themselves. Like if they're supposed to have just been randomly generated by blind forces, how can they act so cohesively together? And this is a very important aspect. And so he points out the strength of the laws of physics is determined by the relatively small number of so-called fundamental constants, such as the gravitational constant and the speed of light, Planck's constant, the mass of the electron, and so on. And the and what he says is these, why we call them fundamental constants is that these constants can't be derived from any other laws. Um, they, they have fixed numerical values and we can just measure them, but we can't derive them mathematically from any other more fundamental concepts. And so what he's saying is that these values, the values for these uh, particular constants have been set in place, but they all work together. They work cohesively. And if they were just slightly different a little bit, the whole system would fall down. And I think this is something that, you know, particularly a lot of biologists and proponents of evolution really don't understand and comprehend. And also the secularists that, you know, are wanting to promote atheism and this sort of thing and keep God out of the classroom. They don't understand. There's overwhelming evidence from an intelligent designer that put this together, 
just right. And even if you had a multitude of, of universes, which is a huge you know, waste of energy, space and time and so forth, it doesn't necessarily mean that you would um, derive at one that would actually work like the way ours does because when you look at the probability of it, the, um, the probability is absolutely enormous as to be essentially well and truly defined as impossible and I'll perhaps talk about that in a moment but for a long time scientists assumed that the structure of the universe is stable to the variation of these constants and uh, but of course um, it changed when Paul Dirac proposed that fundamental constants may change over a period of time uh, and this uh, proposal triggered an intensive study of the potential stability of the universe in the face of possible changes in the fundamental constants. And the result of the study, which was unexpected actually by many scientists, was that our universe is very unstable to such variations. In other words, the numerical value of these fundamental constants are fine-tuned to such an extent that they, the fine-tuning is absolutely essential for the stability of the universe. If these constants were to deviate uh, from the measured values, all the complex structures in the universe would cease to exist. So I'll just read that. That's actually a statement from uh, Dr Popoff that if these constants were to deviate from the measured values, all complex structures in the universe would cease to exist. And he gives an example, and this is one that's perhaps easy to understand. Most of us have heard about protons and neutrons, so they're the, the fundamental particles that make up the nucleus of an atom. And together they give the atomic mass. Uh, proton, Newton, both have a mass of about one. And uh, that's the atomic weight is really the sum of a, an atom, is uh, of an element, is the sum of the protons and neutrons. But he writes that these masses are very close to each other with differences between them being a thousand times smaller than the masses themselves. But they make possible the existence of all the chemical elements in the universe. If the mass of the neutron was just 1% higher than its actual value, neutrons inside the atomic nuclei of most chemical elements would be unstable, and these elements simply could not exist. The same would be true if the mass of the proton were a little smaller than its present value. Conversely, if the mass of a proton was just 0.2% higher than its present value, protons would be unstable and the existence of hydrogen, which is the main constituent components of stars, would be impossible. The same is true for the mass of a neutron. If it were just 0.2% less than its actual value, it would lead to proton instability and dramatic consequences for our universe. Um, but there's more. The strong interaction is a force that holds protons and neutrons inside the atomic nucleus. If this force, the value of which is determined by the strong interaction constant, were just 5% smaller, it would lead, among other destructive consequences, to the absence of deuterium in our universe. And without deuterium, the proton proton nuclear reaction, a base reaction in the sequence of nuclear reactions inside stars would not proceed, which in turn would lead to a starless universe. So if this strong interaction constant were just 2% bigger, it would lead to the existence of a diproton 
in other words, the bound state of two protons. With the existence of diprotons, the speed of the proton-proton reaction would be 10 to the 18 times faster and stars would burn out completely in a very short period of time, also leading to a starless universe. So we often don't hear about these constants, but these are the sort of things that are just so finely balanced. One of the things, of course, we all know about is is gravity, you know? (laughs) When we let go of a cup, it falls to the floor. (laughs) That's gravity. (laughs) My grandchildren are learning that at the moment. Um, Gravity is responsible for the force of attraction between all massive bodies in the universe and defines the structure of the universe. But we also have electromagnetic force, and this responsible is, for among other things, for the attractive repulsive forces between electrical charges, and we, of course, learn that in school. An unexpected fact that scientists have discovered is that, if, is that the electromagnetic force is 10 to the 40 times higher than the force of gravity. Two equally charged massive bodies repel one another at 10 to the 40 times more strongly than the electric force, by the electric force, than attract by the force of gravity. The ratio between the gravitational and electromagnetic forces of 10 to the minus 40 is tiny, but it plays a very important part in the life of stars. If this ratio, which is already very small, was slightly less, all stars would be red dwarfs. If it were just slightly bigger, all stars would be blue joints. In either case, just a small deviation from this number would lead to the absence of sun-like stars in the universe. So there wouldn't be any life. And um, he goes on to point out that um, who or what put all of the fundamental constants in their places? You know, in general, there's only two possible answers to that question. They were given exactly the right values by chance or by purpose. If the former is true, in other words, if they form by chance, we can estimate the probability of such fine-tuning occurring just by chance. And if we calculate the, the probability, it will look really improbable. There are several estimates that he cites uh, from a number of references, and they range from a power of 10 to the minus 3,000, so that's just 1 in 10 to the power 3,000 and or 10 to the power 10 to the power 123. Now, both these numbers are impossible. To give you an idea, the estimated number of atoms in the universe is 10 to the power 80. So that's the number of atoms in the universe. And so you can imagine... um, that numbers like 10 to the power 3,000 or 10 to the power 10 to the 123, and the chances are 1 in that, or 10 to the power minus 3,000, etc., we can see it's absolutely impossible. Absolutely, absolutely impossible. They, these numbers are so, probabilities are so incredible small that they amount to nothing. And so the overwhelming evidence is that our universe was created by a supernatural being, God, a supernatural mind who is not physical, who's outside space and time. And that's the main point that um, Professor John Lennox is trying to get across.
we have this evidence right from science itself that God exists. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And if you want to re-listen to this program, check the references and so forth, just remember to Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the Listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.